All right, anyways, <laughs> welcome everyone. And uh, let's just move on to some quickly some announcements before we move into the sermon today. Uh, we have, the, as you know, we finished our Christmas uh, celebration. It was awesome. Everybody enjoyed themselves. Now it's time to pay. <laughs> All right. So uh, please uh, reconcile everything before December 22nd, or else I'll send our thug Enoch to break your news. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, Please have everything reconciled by the, uh, the 22nd. The, 20, the reason why I say the 22nd is because the 29th is our joint service, and we won't be here. So the 22nd is your last day to get everything done, to have your affairs in order. <laughs> get it? <laughs> anyway, so uh, if you have to pay the, for the Christmas, just make sure you label on the envelope Christmas. If it's for the retreat, label it retreat, and just uh, put it in the offering, envelope, uh, offering bag. All right? So again, submit it before December 4th. Before or on December 22nd. All right. Okay. Another great year, Crucible Church. Uh, last week, I actually forgot one major event that happened with baptism. Uh, we baptized Derek and Waywin. They're not here uh, today, but uh, we had a baptism. Folks, if you don't know this, but we've averaged two baptisms per year. That's pretty darn good, you know, like for our church. And uh, considering that how many people we have, uh, I am always reminded by my fellow pastors in our shepherd circle that, uh, John, you're doing great, actually. Your church is doing well because you're baptizing 10%, right? Like, <laughs> you know, you're, it's more, more than a lot of churches. So then uh, I go, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's actually good. So another great year for Crucible Church. And so let's keep the momentum going. Um, there are some opportunities uh, coming down the pipeline from the city of Richmond. And we would like to take advantage of those. And so uh, I was thinking, okay, what kind of budget we need and what kind of funds we need and resources. And I figured out, just on a little ballpark, if everyone just gives one extra Sunday, we'll be good to start off the year well. So uh, do your math. If you donate by a monthly thing, just you know, do your math. It's very simple. Just add one more Sunday to your tithing and uh, we'll be all set to take advantage of whatever opportunities God has given us for next year, all right? Very simple math, just uh, do it if you are able to. All right, let's move on to the next slide. Now, again, like I said, there's a joint worship service on Sunday, December 29th, over at Bethany Baptist Church at 10 a.m., all right? So it's not 11 a.m., it's 10 a.m. And if you've been to Bethany, they have a stop clock on that screen. You know, they, they, they have this, like, you know, countdown. So they will start on time. So please, um, at 10 a.m. at Bethany Baptist, we'll be there. Our worship teams are going to be there joining up with uh, Emmanuel, Reform, Emmanuel Reform Church. Uh, they'll be doing it together uh, to lead a worship. So uh, come out, support your team, and uh, just uh, worship together with uh, five other churches. All right, so it'll be an amazing event. Uh, it's something that we do. Hopefully, we want to keep the tradition going each year. All right, is that it? No. <laughs> One more. There is a soul care conference happening on February 6th to the 8th. Uh, if you recall, we did a series on a book called Soul Care, and the author, Dr. Rob Reimer, will be in town uh, to uh, conduct a conference over in Abbotsford at the Heritage Alliance Church. And uh, you can feel free to visit the, the website for more information. But I encourage you to go. Uh, if you already read the book, great. And if you watch this video series, awesome. This is just a great way to um, be more in contact with, uh, with uh, Reimer and also ask him questions. But also, 
Uh, what I've heard is that a lot of people uh, have uh, benefited from the prayer teams. Uh, they, he sends uh, out, uh, he sends uh, with, he, no, sorry, prayer teams come along with him, and uh, there are about like a dozen prayer teams. And uh, after each day of the conference, there's a prayer for anyone who needs prayer. And uh, many pastors, they also went, and they benefited from the prayer teams. So if you wanted to be, or you're curious, or want to know more, just visit the website, and I encourage you all to attend. Is that it? That's it. Okay, so let's uh, begin with our, our sermon series on, oops, that's Annabelle, sorry. Uh, with sermon series on Luke, right? Um, we are now in Luke chapter 9, and uh, I hope you've been enjoying this series. Um, it's a tough slot because this is one of the longest uh, gospels in the Bible, and uh, we're going through it uh, step by step. We're not in no rush. So, uh, however, I hope you've been enjoying this journey with me. So we're into uh, Luke chapter nine, and I entitled it "Greatness." But before we do that, let's pray, and then uh, Patrick will begin with a video. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessed space again that you have given given us. Lord, as we go into Luke, we're going into your son's story. The story that saved humanity, saved us, saved me, saved my brothers and sisters before me. And therefore, it's important that you open our hearts and our minds to receive your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. There's Lime. Look at him. He's a goddamn prince. Man, there's just something about him. You know, I'd give anything to be friends with him. I don't see what the big deal is, you know? He's not that great. What'd you say? What's that? I heard you say something. Oh, oh, what did I say? Oh, nothing. Oh, no, I heard you say something. He said you're not that great. Rick. Is that what you said about me? Uh, I was coming over here. I know. I'm gonna rip this guy in half. Yeah. No, 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 just give me a little piece of... Uh, Jack, look, I just, no. the guys look up to you so much, and I just was a little jealous, and I, I just said some junk. It's funny. Aren't you the guy who lost his job to his wife? All right. That's Anchorman 2, so if you want to watch it, go for it. It's not a good movie anyway. There was only one good scene, and that was it. All right. So why did I go into greatness? great or anything. Well, interesting enough, when I was uh, talking to Annabelle, I go, who's great? Right? And then she goes, Hella. No. I don't like, what? No, wait. And then she goes, oh, no, no, daddy, you're great. You're the greatest dad ever, right? And then uh, I'm like, oh, that's so cute, right? But then, uh, then I'm like going, and then something dawned on me, like, it got me thinking. Okay, so I'm great in front of my daughter, but I remember there were times when I was working as a store manager. Oh, no, no, actually, better example, I was working as a buyer for Best Buy. Sorry, baby. Uh, that, uh, you know, I didn't hit my targets uh, for sales for the year end. And he got really angry. He got so angry that he jumped on the table and then ran right towards me. I walked anyway, right? And then yelled down at me, saying that I suck, right? How dare you, right? You, you risked our company, you spent millions of dollars, and we didn't hit budget, right? Can you believe it? And so then I go, okay, definitely, when I look back, I was not great. I didn't feel great. He didn't see me as great. I was a toad to him. Right? Then there are times when uh, I'm great again. 
But then, uh, uh, and, you know, in the nonprofit world, especially in ministry, uh, people would say, oh, man, you're so great. Your ministry's great, right? Well, it's because, you know, uh, they define it. So I realized that greatness is really not depends on me. Greatness is defined by others. They're the ones who give me the title. The only reason why I'm great is because they, I somehow fit in that predefined notion of whatever they think great is. So for I'm very lucky and fortunate that at least I could come home and I'm great to my wife, hopefully, and I'm great to my daughter, right? So you know, you know what I mean? So the question to, uh, this morning is then, well, this one's an easy one. Who do you want, some, who do you want to tell you that you're great? Well, we're in a church, in a Christian church. Technically, we would say, Jesus, right? Great. But then if it's Jesus, then here's the question that's more important then. Then how do you be great in Jesus' eyes? What are the criteria? What is, it, what is it that you're supposed to do? What is you supposed to say or how you're supposed to behave in front of Jesus so that in the end of the day, when the end of the world happens, he would say to you and to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Great. You're great in the sight of God. How do we get there? Should we be anxious about it? Like, should we be afraid if we never make it? Right? So do you even know the criteria? That's where we're getting into this morning. Because the disciples had that problem right there in chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me or tap with me or open with me or swipe with me to Luke chapter 9, and we'll begin. Luke chapter 9. Now, chapter 9 is interesting because of the structure. Did we get the structure here? There we go. It's a structure. And chapter 9 technically, does, technically ends where your Bible says, but really, linguistically and literally, <laughs> literally, right? It actually ends somewhere else, more like in chapter ten. So why do I say that? Well, you could disagree with me, and if you want to disagree and you don't want to listen to anything else that I say, earmuffs. All right. But let me explain and give me some time to explain. First of all, if you first, if you look at nine, chapter nine, right in the beginning, we have the classic Jesus sending the twelve. Right? Agree? You know, and then he tells them not to bring anything like a shirt or a bag or a, uh, or a walking stick. Great. But then, where else have we seen this? Let's blast over to Luke chapter 10. It's, uh, he's now called Lord. No longer called Jesus, but called Lord. And then he sends out 72, right? 72 disciples. His disciples increased. Right? But same thing though, right? Don't carry anything, don't carry a bag, don't carry a, a, a staff, uh, don't bring anything or an extra shirt. And then also he gives instructions on how to deal with people who are hostile to them, right? So both sides is like a bookend. So hence I put it like bookends there. You got the first part and you got the last part and you got a sandwich in the middle, right? Then you got all the stuff in the middle, right? You got the, um, you got the famous stories of the feeding of the 5,000, you got the interesting story of the transfiguration, which we'll go into. Uh, you got the interesting story about the uh, disciples not being able to cast out a demon from a boy. And of course, you got the two brothers, sons of thunder, who want to blast the hated Samaritans with lightning. Right? John and Peter goes, I'm going to just burn them up. Right? And then, and then you have, but then when you look at it, throughout all those, each of those stories end with a son of man saying, 
right? The Son of Man says this. The Son of Man is this. So, so you got three Son of Man's sayings, concluding each of these famous stories, and then you got these bookends. You see that on your Bibles too? Maybe not, but you know, you will get there. We'll work through it slowly. So, there's got to be a reason for Luke doing this. And these bookends, well, how are we supposed to treat these bookends? These bookends are supposed to give us the lens on how to read the entire stuff in the middle. So you know that famous story of the feeding of the 5,000? We're supposed to read it in the way that these bookends tell us to read. Follow? Okay, so let's get to the bookends first and then get that lens. Let's just clean up our glasses and then say, okay, Luke, so how should we read these famous stories? Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. It says, when Jesus had caught the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Okay. Finger? I don't know. Bookmark? Right? Blast over to Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So folks, what's the theme? What's the lens that we need to read the rest of the stuff, including the feeding of the 5,000? All that stuff in the middle. It's this. Jesus is the one who gives the power and authority to his disciples. Jesus is the one who defines what it means to be great in his eyes. Jesus gives greatness, defines greatness, and empowers us to greatness. Let's say that again. Jesus gives greatness, he defines greatness, and empowers us for greatness. We are called to trust and believe that this is true. Hence, Jesus' instructions were to take, when he said, take nothing, right? Take nothing, no bag, no staff, everything. Well, what was he trying to say? Well, back then, there were called charlatans. I don't know if you know what charlatans are, but in contemporary language, cheerleaders, all right? Like uh, people. So let's say Henry was a wealthy guy, and he is. That's why, you know, that's a good So-so. And then he said, I need somebody to praise me and uplift me on my bad days that I don't feel so, hmm, right? So then he hires Jonathan Chan, right, up here, and say, I'll give you 50 bucks at a time, not bad, right, to cheerlead for me in the crowd. Right? And then I would say, oh, welcome. Like, you know, when we go into a, a banquet or Uncle Willie's or something, hey, this is <laughs> Uncle Willie. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> hey, this is Henry. Henry, the great one, the smart one. Look at him. Look at him go. Right? I would speak greatly of him. Right? Back then, there were a lot of wealthy people that paid that. And so then he gives me money at that time. I would have a pouch and collect it. And then he would give me a staff to walk because, you know, I need to walk with him everywhere I go. So the description here that Jesus gave is exactly that, a charlatan, a cheerleader. And therefore, he's telling his disciples, don't be a cheerleader. You don't owe anybody anything. 
this good news that we have is freakishly free, right? No one owes you anything. This is the life-giving message of the gospel and it should be free. In fact, trust in God for your provisions. And guess what? In their context, if God is the one that's providing for you all your needs, guess who you're supposed to cheerlead? God. Make sense? So that's why the Jesus says, don't carry a purse, don't carry a staff. In those days, it's because that's a description of a cheerleader for an emperor, for a Caesar, for a well-known noble, or even a wealthy guy. He says, don't do that. The only person that you're supposed to cheerlead is God. And therefore, trust in God for your provisions. Follow? So, again, what are, what's the theme that, this, that this, uh, these bookends have? <laughs> yeah, she, she's bored. Okay, I'll try my best. All right. So the theme is Jesus defines greatness, he gives greatness, and he empowers us to be great. And for us, those who are great in the, uh, in the eyes of the world, those who, who want to be great, they would be like the charlatans. But Jesus says, no, flip it. All authority given to me is now given to you. You even have authority to bring down Satan. It's amazing what he says about this. Every time we share the gospel and share our testimony to somebody, really, folks, every time we share our testimony or share the gospel with anyone, Satan falls faster. He's falling. He's not winning. He's falling. We got to remember that. And every time he's falling, like uh, every time we share, he falls even faster to his doom. Praise God. Right? Okay, let's move on. So let's go on to the first son of man saying, and we'll just review it quickly. Verse 22 to 27. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them. And when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the glory of the holy angels, truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now let's blast over to the next Son of Man. Listen carefully. Oh, this, sorry. Verse 44. Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you, all who is the greatest. That's the second son of man. You guys are following? Sorry, I'm bombarding you with a lot of information here. Last son of man. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Okay, folks, what's the similarities of all these? Because we got to find them 
Uh, Luke purposely grouped them together, right? Son of man, son of man, son of man, three times. So what's similar about this? Well, the first question that we should ask ourselves is, okay, if this thing is all about greatness and Jesus is defining greatness, so what is greatness? What is this greatness in the eyes of Jesus? Well, when the world says greatness is all about gaining more of the world, whether it be status, power, wealth, self-worth, spouse, the amount of money in the savings account, or kids, uh, white fence, house, mortgage, I don't know, whatever. You name it, they got it, right? Uh, let's listen to any music. We just did the top hits, right? Chainsmokers says, sang one song about it too. You know, about greatness, right? You know, superheroes, you know, you know which song. <laughs> so anyway, like, you know what the world defines as great. We don't have to go and look it up. Yet, Jesus says, greatness is actually defined by the cross. Greatness is actually that. That foolishness. The worst execution, worst punishment ever. The most embarrassing thing that you could ever think of. Where the worst criminals are supposed to be crucified on. That's greatness. Oh, wait. No, it's not just that greatness. It's actually under that. You got to pick it up. So you're not just, it's not just greatness in the cross. It's actually, you're going to put yourself under the cross and carry it. You follow? Think about it for the disciples for a moment. They thought Jesus was this great person, and they still think that he is. And yet Jesus says, no, unless you go right down underneath the cross and, and, to the, and underneath the foolishness and be the, even the fool of the fools, you cannot be great in my eyes. Put yourself under it. To be great is to submit and relinquish our desires for whatever we think will have us get ahead. Right? Whether it be our career, whether it be trying to get married because everybody else is getting married, whether it be have kids because everybody else is having kids, whether it be like a, a house because everybody else is getting a house, whether it be trying to please our parents because everybody is yeah, right. <laughs> pleasing their parents. Right? What is it that you desire that will make you feel great, Jesus is saying, can you put that underneath the cross? If you can't, it's not great in Jesus' eyes. That's hard. That's tough. So, let, so to summarize then, because he talks about the child, of a, taking a standing of a child, because, and we know that a social standing of a child is nothing in those days. So then if we summarize everything, of all the Son of Man's statements, what is Jesus really ta- defining greatness here? Right here. I tried to do it. I tried to truncate it all. And, uh, I was about to say coagulate, but it's not it. Combine everything uh, to it. And so I combine all the Son of Man's sayings into one. And here we go. Here's my attempt. Greatness is whoever wants to be great or be Jesus' disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow Jesus. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. For it is the one who is least among you all and does not look back on what they are missing out, who is the greatest and fit for service in the kingdom of God. Follow? Folks, it is very easy to say yes to God. It is very easy to say, yeah, I'll follow you. But it's very difficult to to not look back. There are times when I look back. You know, like uh, I go, oh man, I don't have to do this. Right? I still remember one of my headhunters calling me. You know, John, uh, 
you're still doing that whole pastor gig, right? And then I'm going, yes. He goes, so you have this calling thing, right? I go, yeah, something that you don't understand. Okay, but then, like, no, I don't get it because we have lineup of it, like good employers out there that, will, that you have a great ability and, you know, talent and you have a great repertoire on your resume. Like, we definitely want, like, you're sure? I, I, I'm like, hmm. <laughs> like, you know, and that's looking back, right? Think about it, that's looking back. It's like, uh, so Jesus gave an example of first century. You know, you're plowing your, your, you know, your lawn. And then, uh, and then you're always going, looking back, going, huh, what is that guy doing? What is that guy doing? Or what, is it, or what am I missing? Is there a little speck here, right? And then suddenly you realize you're going crooked. And then you're heading in the wrong direction. Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. It is very easy, like I said, to say yes to Jesus. It's quite easy. We say it all the time. We even do it on software license agreements. You know, just scroll, 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 and click, right? But do we mean it, though? To, and are we willing to not look back? Not look at what others are doing, not to envy them, but just to continue to go on towards the goal that God has set forth for each of us. Each of us have a different path. Not every one of them is the same, but are we willing to take on that path? That's greatness. Greatness is never to look back. Greatness is to submit under the cross, and greatness is to lose oneself to Jesus and trust in him daily. All right. So that's the Son of Man sayings. That's the summary of it. Let's move on. So let's take a look at verse 11. At that time, Jesus, full of joy. Oh, sorry. I skipped it. The biggest story. Um, that now we just go into the story. Sorry, we missed it. Now we go into the story. So first story, what do we have? The transfiguration, right? And that's one of those odd ones that, that uh, we're not quite understand what it means. But then it goes and says that James, John, and Peter went up with Jesus, right? And then they saw Jesus uh, transfigured and shining. What did Peter say? Oh, we should stay here. It's good, right? Why did he say that? It's, okay, just to think about it. He has reached to the pinnacle of the mountain. He's been working so hard to be the greatest disciple, right, of all, like the best Jew ever. And then what does he say? Oh, I made it. I don't have to do anything anymore. I'm at the top. I'm the peak of my career. I'm done, right? And then this is mine. I'm the greatest. I'm the favorite disciple. How do I know that he said that? Well, because when he came down with Jesus, James, John, and Peter, what did Luke say? They said nothing about the whole situation, right? If you read it, they said absolutely nothing. They said, like, uh, they didn't mention a word. You know why? They want to keep it to themselves. They're going, oh, hey, okay, wait, wait, wait. We're favored now. Those nine other disciples, they're lame. They're losers, right? We're the great ones. So let's not tell them what happened. And then guess what else happened? Follow that. Well, the disciples, they found out the disciples couldn't uh, cast out the demons out of the boy. Well, why did that happen? And then what do you think James, John, and Peter were thinking? Because you suck. <laughs> right? Like, like the, the disciples are going, like the other nine couldn't cast out the demon, but the other three are going, you know why? Because we're the favorite ones, right? And then what ensues? An argument of who is the greatest, right? The argument of who is the greatest came after trying to heal the boy. Every, all the disciples are going, well, I couldn't do it well, well, because you're not great. I had the favor. You're not the favor. 
And so, again, Jesus concludes with the Son of Man saying, saying, you cannot do that. You have to submit to Jesus. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And then we come into the most popular story, the feeding of the 5,000. That is the story that I'm going to conclude with. The story goes like this. They're in the wilderness. Uh, the people uh, forgot to bring lunch. Don't know why. And then uh, and they went out to listen to Jesus. Jesus. The disciples said, see that there's a need, there's a problem. So corporately, you identify the problem, <laughs> right? Uh, you guys know what SWAT is, right? Anyway, you, do, do, you, do, you, uh, you, uh, you identify the problem, and they go, uh-oh, we have a problem. People cannot be fed. And then, uh, so then... They go to Jesus and he goes, okay, we have a problem here. Uh, the people are going to starve. They're going to faint. They're not going to go back home uh, like because they're, going to, they're hungry. And then, uh, and then the Jesus goes, well, since now you've already read the chapter 9. Just kidding. They never had chapter 9. But since we have already gone through this whole thing with the Son of Man, you feed them. And then they go, uh-oh. Right? What are we supposed to do? So what did they do? They did what all of us did. They analyzed and they looked into it, and they tried to figure out within their means. So they asked everybody, okay, who has all the food here? Who has everything? Totally forgetting who told them to take care of something. It was Jesus who told them to take care of it. It wasn't anybody else. It was Jesus who said, you take care of it, because I trust you. You got to trust me that I could take care of it too, for you. You follow? The disciples here, this story about the feeding of the 5,000 is not necessarily about the feeding for the people. If we were leading, reading this lens using the Son of Man, reading the lens with the bookends, that Luke is actually telling us and the disciples how little we trust Jesus. When Jesus tells us to do something, he trusts that we will depend on him for greatness. He entrusts us for things. So here I'm going to conclude with this. Uh, I know it's not on the PowerPoint. Many times uh, there are a lot of people come to me and, uh, you know, on my other life and uh, in company of disciples, they go, you know, uh, they always tell me about prayer requests and they always say, oh, what was me? You know, that these things happen, these things happen, these things happen. And I go, here's a lesson for you. Like, here's a lesson for myself that I've come to realize. That, you know, when you get old, <laughs> you start to reflect. <laughs> and so you go... God gives you, no, life is like a game of cards. Texas Hold'em. You guys know what that game is? All right? You can't trade cards in Texas Hold'em. All right? It's a poker game. You can't trade cards in Texas Hold'em. And of course you could fold, but that means you, you die and you don't want to die. All right? So, but then you're given a card. And each card, you have no control, right? No control of the card, whatever shows up. It could be a two of diamonds. Wait a minute, if you're playing big two, that'll be a good card. No, but you know, you know what I mean, a three of diamond, right? Like, uh, you know, it's like just, you know, there's some bad cards and there's some good cards. Cancer, sickness, unemployment, singleness, uh, bad relationship with your spouse, bad relationship with your uh, parents, bad job, bad boss, card after card after card. Some are good cards. You know, baby, newborn baby, right? Good card, right? Pay rate, good card, right? Oh, I got, I got another job, good card. Card after card. You have no control over these cards. Guess who's giving you these cards? God. He's telling us, you have a mission to fulfill, and I have a calling for you. 
and you need to be obedient. You need to trust me. Because why? Because I trust you that you're going to be great through this. Trust. God empowers us to be great no matter what card he deals us. He deals the, these cards to us, folks. Let's just face the fact. You can theologize of whatever you can about suffering. But he does deal these cards for us. But like he did with Job, he trusts us that we will be great. Because we will trust him. That he'll empower us to be great and to win with these cards. Follow? And that's why he said at the end, at that time Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except for the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but not, not hear it. Folks, the reason why Jesus said this is because he has already given us this sight to know that all these cards are, are cards that are given by God. And we know that whatever we face, whatever sufferings we, uh, we, we are dealt with, whatever problems or issues or whatever things that he deals, deals the cards to, we know that if we trust in God, he will give us the power to win with these cards. He will give us the power for greatness. He will say, well done, faithful servant, you finished this uh, card game, I gave you the cards, I trusted that you will make it, and you trusted me that I will give you the power to make it, well done. You're great. You were given the eyes to see that. Jesus says, blessed are the eyes that can see that. Those, the folks out there, they don't see that. The folks out there, when they see a problem, they'll just collapse. When they see something that issued, and when they see a career like a, a plummeting, when they see loneliness, they get collapsed. But we see something different. We see that God just gave this card because he trusts us that we will survive through it and we will be great at the end and give us that power too. And so to segue into this communion, he says, blessed are those who can see this, see that this communion is victory. It, God is now saying, whatever you face, whatever card he has given you, you can win by trusting in him. And so, as we take our communion after the song of response, may you be reminded of that as well. And all I can say is, amen. Amen? Amen. amen. Let's pray.